0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today's sermon is by Canon Stephen Gauthier and is from Palm Sunday, 2018. Today, of course, is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. And Holy Week is when we celebrate as Christians the most sacred mysteries of our faith, the core of our faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's the most sacred time in the church here. And Palm Sunday, as we start this out, we logically ask ourselves, I want to do this right. How do I worthily celebrate the mysteries? How do I put myself in that place as we start? So I suggest three things we'll talk about is, first of all, by coming to understand what Good Friday really is. It was a victory, not a defeat. By coming to understand that Jesus' path is our path too, something to follow, not admire. And finally, by preparing ourselves to take up our cross and follow. So let's get the first of those. Good Friday was a victory, not a defeat. Well, it certainly looked like a defeat. We just heard the passion. People said to him, His enemies, well, if you're the Son of God, come down for it. we'll believe you. Well, He didn't. Even His disciples, remember, on the road to Emmaus. they were saying on the night of the resurrection, before they knew, we thought He was the one. So clearly, it certainly didn't look like a victory, but Jesus said in John's Gospel, speaking of the crucifixion, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. He wasn't talking about Easter, he was talking about Good Friday. So what kind of glory is that? Two things. First of all, the glory is in reality that this was actually, the Messiah was going to bring a triumphant victory, and the victory over death and sin occurred on Good Friday. That's when it took place. By the way, that's why we begin with Palm Sunday. Because it might seem ironic, the same people who are saying Hosanna are saying crucifying five days later, but it's not irony, it's saying this is sort of sacramental, saying we might miss the point. They're actually ironically right. What we're about to see is a king going out to victory. That's the actual reality of what is going to happen there on on Palm Sunday. So why is this glory? There's another way. You know, we talk like in sports or something, we talk about somebody, you know, you know sports glory or something. You say, somebody, it's when you're at the top of your game. When you take a great athlete, the, the game or something, and he or she just played their best game ever. When you see them most what they could do. Well, God is love, and where could we ever hope to see a better possible demonstration of what love looked look like when the Father gave the Son He loved for us on the cross, and when Jesus gave Himself for people who were crucifying Him. It is the supreme example, God at the top, of what love looked like. That's why the glory of the cross. And, what we, and so we tend to think, so in human terms, well, isn't the Good Friday sort of a speed bump on the road to Easter, a roadblock on the way? Good Friday isn't a roadblock. Good Friday is the road. Good Friday is what makes Easter Sunday possible. That's why the church from the earliest times has always insisted we never separate the the two for celebration. We always celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus because it's that glory. You say, what about Good Friday? You'll notice something on Good Friday, and I hope you're all gonna be back, is on Good Friday, we will have no dismissal because you just can't end you know, the end of the story of the crucifixion is the resurrection. They cannot be separated. There's one glory. So the first thing to know about Holy Week is what we're about to come isn't Jesus' funeral, it is his triumph. The second thing is Jesus' path is ours as well. Our temptation is to admire. Wow, that's amazing. It is. But, you know, when Jesus three times, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us three times he told his disciples, you know, I'm going to be crucified and buried and be rise from the dead. The first time He told them, He didn't just talk to His disciples. He said, everybody around here, come over. I want you to hear this. What did He say? It says, and calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, He said to them, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. So again, Jesus is saying this isn't just His path. The path that He opened up is our path, too. He opened up the same path for us. It's a path to be followed. One of the religious orders, it's called the Carmelites, I have special affinities with them. They have a custom I love. In a Carmelite room, uh, if you looked at one of the the brothers or the sisters, you'd find there are always two crosses. One is a crucifix, you know, with the figure of Jesus on it, but the other is just a plain old wooden cross. And you say, well, isn't that sort of too much? I mean, you have a cross. No, no. The cross is reminding us we look at the cross of Jesus. The other cross is remind us of our response to that cross is to take up our own. For every Christian, there are two crosses, the cross of Jesus and our own. That's the response. And for us, again, this isn't bad news. This is good news because this is the road to life. Our road to our own Easter passes through Good Friday. It says, Paul says, if we die a death like his, we know we'll have a resurrection like his. So that brings us... How Okay, we say, how do we take up the cross and follow Jesus? It's nice to say that, but what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Well, again, in Holy Week, Jesus is going to tell us. He's going to let it out on Holy Thursday, you know, the, 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 His Last Supper. And we, there's a reason they call it Maundy Thursday. Maundy is what people, English-speaking people, hear the word mandatum novum. And they used to use Latin. Mandatum means commandment. And Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. You are to love one another as I love you. Again, this is a new in the sense that we've always told to love our neighbors ourselves. But he said, oh, we need it better than that. You will love one another as I love you, complete self-giving love. Now, we can ask ourselves practically and holy, what would that look like for me? I'm not going to be crucified. I can understand complete. What does that look like for regular people? What does complete self-giving love look like? And there are three beautiful incidents in Holy Week that I think give us a vital clue as to what it looks like in our lives. So let's look at them, okay? The uh, first one is, you uh, to list them, they're going to be, first of all, Jesus and the Apostles at the Last Supper. That's going to be our first example. The second one will be Jesus meets the daughters of Jerusalem and on his way to the cross. And the third is Jesus on the cross. Let's look at each one of those. To me, there's something amazing that all we, I can't get past on the, on the Last Supper. It seems sort of innocent. At the beginning of chapter 13 of John's Gospel in the Last Supper, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I don't know about you. I think it's an amazing statement. Here's why. We're told throughout the Last Supper, Jesus knew that of the 12 people with him, one of them had already sold him for money. One of them was going to deny him, not once, three times over a period of hours. It wasn't a, 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 a lapse. And everybody but one was going to leave him all alone and abandoned to face death alone at his worst hour. He knew this, and despite that, he loved his own with him. He loved them to the end. How could he do that? How could he get past the feelings of betrayal? Well, we're sort of told. That if you look at Luke's gospel, he says to Peter, he says, having told Peter, you're going to deny me. He goes on and he says, and when you've turned again strengthen your brothers. And when you have turned again, he said, this is going to be, we're going to get past this. There's an other side. Jesus could see beyond their weaknesses. He saw there was more there. Now, the trouble with us, isn't it, is that we often in our lives, don't we have uh, ideals of what the ideal father, mother, brother, sister, boss, child, uh, elected official is supposed to look like? And of course, human beings are never perfect. And so we often tend to focus on how they've let us down, how they're removed from that ideal. We, don't, we see what's not there, and we hate it. Jesus, the eyes of Jesus, Jesus' loved us. we see what is there, and we love it. So we constantly face that challenge. We see the realities of, uh, of human beings. We can hate what's not there, or we can love what is. It changes everything. That's what it's like to love like Jesus loved. We love what's there. So our first lesson is that lesson with the apostles. He could look past their betrayals because he knew there was more there. That's what he looked at. The second, the Daughters of Jerusalem, I think, is a miracle, a miracle everyone seems to overlook. The Daughters of Jerusalem come up as he's crying. Now, he's just been whipped. And whipping is designed to inflict pain. He's lost a lot of blood. He's exhausted. He's carrying his cross, and he's about, and at the end of the road, there isn't rest. He's going to be crucified. They're going to nail him, put nails through him, and put him on a cross, and he's going to suffocate. So the women of Jerusalem are mourning over him. And what's his response? He says, oh, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. That's a miracle. Jesus actually feels compassion for someone else. In the middle of his pain, instead of, normally, what do we do when we're in pain? Normally, there's two things we do. Serious pain is we sometimes feel resentful to people who aren't in pain. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. Why me? Or what's worth, even among people in pain, we have sort of a competition. You call that pain? (laughs) Hello, this trumps. I mean, it's almost like a competition (laughs) as to what real pain is. But the point is, instead of leaning in, we tend to pull back, right? We tend to pull back from these things. The amazing thing about Jesus in the midst of incredible pain, He's looking outward, not inward. His pain is a springboard to compassion instead of an excuse for pulling in. It's a miracle. I wouldn't believe it except I've experienced it with someone in this church. It was amazing to me. Many years ago, Uh, someone I deeply loved and admired in this church, was dying. We knew they were going to die in the next few hours, the next few days. And we were keeping a death watch. Both of us loved him. We were staying with him, taking turns. And I was with him. We were talking about things he loved to talk about. And then I remember him saying, hey, come over. Because I was sitting a few feet away. He said, come over here. He took my hand. I should tell you at this time, I was sick. I hadn't told anybody. I'd lost almost 40 pounds. So, you know, I guess you could tell. Uh, But I hadn't said anything to anybody. And he took my hand in his, and he said, Stephen, I'm concerned you don't look well. Can I pray for you? That's a miracle. This man is facing immediate death, and his only thought is about me. I was stunned. I saw Jesus. That's amazing to have that kind of thing. That's, That's a miracle. Because all the human instincts are, this is my moment. It's like, you know, a bride at her wedding day or something. This is my moment. You know, I'm the person who's dying here. You know, this is, no, no, the idea it's about someone else is amazing. So that's our second, the daughters of Jerusalem, real love. You know, loving like Jesus loves means our pain isn't a reason to draw within ourselves. It's a reason to push in, not pull back. The third is Jesus on the cross. And Jesus says something, if we think about it, sort of odd. Then we might miss the point. He says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. What's odd about that? Well, why did he have to say it out loud? There's a reason for it. You see, Jesus is basically telling the very people who are mocking him and crucifying him the light's still on and the door's open. Remember on the day of Pentecost, say, "Look what you did! Do you know what you did?" In the sermon with Peter, you've crucified the Son of Glory, etc. What do we do? We say, "How can we ever believe He'd forgive us?" Because He told us, His last words to us are, "This is okay. The light is on, and the door is open." Well, in our lives, again, how often when we're hurt, we feel hurt, we've been injured, we feel pain. The tendency is to say. Look, we slam the door, (laughs) we don't just close it, we slam the door, lock it, and turn out the lights to reconciliation. And to love like Jesus' love is no matter what happens, we never give up. The light always stays on and the door's always open. And to be at this church is there are so many examples we've seen over the years of things that say no one could ever restore this relationship to see them gloriously restored. The light's on and the door is open. That's the story of Jesus on the cross, saying, "Father, forgive them." It's an announcement to all of you. When you think back on this, remember, this isn't over. It's like that woman. Remember that the woman who the, caught in adultery, when she's going to be stoned, Jesus doesn't deny the fact that she had done something wrong. He said, you "Sin no more," but he said, I, "I don't condemn you." What does that mean? The word "condemn" is a technical word. The word "condemn," like a condemned building, means you can't repair it. There's no choice but to tear it down. It's hopeless or a condemned criminal, God forbid. But there's a time people felt that there's nothing else you can do except, um, you know, execution, capital punishment. There's no hope of, of um, their being restored. So condemned. Jesus said, you've sinned, but I'm not writing you off. I'm, I, I don't condemn you. I'm not writing you off. So that's our third example. So how do we worthily celebrate Holy Week? By taking up our cross and following Jesus. Maybe a really good place to start is to ask ourselves prayerfully three questions. Examine our hearts. Am I prepared to really love what's there instead of hating what's not? Can I look beyond the tarnish and the grime and see the image of God that's still there to see what God sees and loves in sinners? Second question, am I prepared to look beyond my own sufferings and actually reach out to others who are suffering? And third, am I prepared to hope in others even when everybody else has given up? Am I always going to leave the light on and the door open? Now, you should be saying something like this, well, that's just not possible, and you're right. It's not possible for us. But Jesus has one of his most beautiful words. He says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I know, I bet you've had an experience like this. I've had a time when I've really been hurt. And I remember saying to God, "Um, I can't forgive, but I was given this prayer, but you can. You can forgive through me. Somehow you can give me the forgiveness I don't have. And one time it was so bad, I confessed it for the first time in the last service. I never told anybody. There was a time I was so hurt by something that I didn't even want to ask for the forgiveness. I had to pray, Lord, I've just got to be honest with you. I don't really want to forgive either. So I'm praying for the desire to want to forgive. Both of them, God's answered those prayers and gave me the real thing. You know, God will do in us what we cannot do. All we do is ask. Remember... For man, this is impossible. For God, all things are possible. Remember a fundamental truth of theology. God never commands what he doesn't empower. God never asks us to do something without giving us the grace. So when we say, this is bigger than me, say, good news. That means there must be grace somewhere. It means I'm going to see God at work. That's what it means when we're asked to do more than we can do. Good news, get ready to see God. So let our prayer this holy week be, Lord, I really want to love others like you do, like Jesus does. Let your love for others pass through me. Let me be a channel of your love. Because what other people need isn't our love, they need God's love in us. Let me be a channel of that grace. And let me see others with your eyes so I can love them with your heart. So Holy Week is the time to accept Jesus' invitation to take up our cross and follow him. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we'd love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.